Jesus House in Pursuit of God Discovering Purpose Maximizing Potential Impacting Lives This message is being brought to you from Jesus House London God bless you ask today that you are kind we celebrate your goodness and your mercy we turn to you my father and we say father almighty God meet each and every need wheresoever your people are my father meet them at the point of their need eternal rock of ages we ask that you cause the new to become a reality in their lives and we ask it in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth and everybody said amen so ladies and gentlemen this morning as we come to our 21st day of our journey of 40 days of prayer and fasting as we come to day 21 I will point us this morning to something that God said that he would do when we fast like this. And wherever you are, ladies and gentlemen, please understand that this is something that God is saying to you. And so if you could turn in your Bibles, please, to the book of Isaiah, that's Isaiah 58, and I will read verse 9. That's Isaiah 58, reading verse 9, and I'll read it from the Amplified Classic version of the Bible. And the Bible says the following, he says, when you fast properly, as, as he, in the preceding verses, he says this. He says, then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. The Bible then says, if you take away from your midst yokes of oppression wherever you find them, the finger pointed in scorn towards the oppressed or the godly, and every form of harsh, harsh, unjust, and wicked speaking. Ladies and gentlemen, the Bible says the following. The Bible says, when we call, God will answer. And so before we go any further, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know where you are. I don't know what you're asking God for. But before we start this morning, I sense in my heart that there's a need for God to answer your prayers. Therefore, I lift my voice and I ask God to with you that whatsoever you are asking God for, in particular, if you are sitting on your own with little or no support, my prayer is that when you call, God will answer. That means when you ask God to step in, he will answer you. And that is one of the benefits of praying or one of the benefits of fasting. The words of your prayers find their place before God and God will answer you. So I don't know what you're believing God for, but God said, I will answer. That means the person who is going to do the heavy lifting, the person who is going to step into your matter, the person who is going to turn things around, ladies and gentlemen, is the Almighty. God. And so wherever you are, ladies and gentlemen, I join my faith with yours and I pray that God answers you. The second part the Lord says is this. He says, when you cry, I will say, here I am. Now, a cry is very different from a call. A cry is an expression of desperation. 
many times articulate, inarticulate. Many times it is something that comes out and you may not be able to control it. And the Lord says, when you cry, I will say, here I am. And so, ladies and gentlemen, this morning is very interesting. God does not say, I will answer. That is, I will make something happen. He says, when you cry, he will say, I will show up because the answer to your cry is me. And so, ladies and gentlemen, this morning, and yes, God will answer your prayers. God says, I'm going to answer your cry because there's a cry across a generation. There's a cry that is going across the world, and it's a cry for the Lord. And the Lord says, I will show up because I am the answer to a cry. The Bible says, God will say, here I am. And so, ladies and gentlemen, whatsoever your cry is, whatsoever it may be, the Lord says, I'll step in and I'll show up. And that means I will meet whatsoever your cry demands. If we look at Bible history, we realize whenever anybody cries, especially a believer, the Lord always answers. There are many famous examples. But this morning, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to speak specifically about the cry of a generation. And it's broken down into six areas. And we realize there is a cry because notice the attraction of the alternatives. I was most excited when Deborah spoke at the beginning of the service and she prayed beautifully. But notice what technology has given people, an alternative audience to the Almighty God. And I'm glad that we are reclaiming that audience to put God in front of people. And he says, the desires of your heart I will meet. And so ladies and gentlemen, we're going to look at six things that form the cry of this generation. And we will realize that to all of them, God is the answer. The first one is this, is a decry for purpose. What am I here for? Am I here for something? Am I here for a reason? And ladies and gentlemen, you'll notice that's the cry of many people. That's why you'll notice a lot of young people have, will have three to four jobs before they settle down. You'll notice the desire or the drive to change things. So there's a cry that, what am I here for? And the Bible answers as follows. Turning your Bible, if you can, ladies and gentlemen, to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 1, reading from verses 4 to 10. Jeremiah, chapter 1, and I'm going to read from verses 4 to 10, and I'm going to keep reading from the Amplified Bible. The Bible says the following. Then the word of the Lord came to me, Jeremiah, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew and approved of you as my chosen instrument. And before you were born, I separated and set you apart 
consecrating you and I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. The Bible then goes on all the way down to verse 10, but the, I'll, I'll, read, I'll, I'll keep reading. The Bible says, Then said I, Our Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am only a youth. But he said to me, Say not, I'm, I am only a youth, for you shall go to all whom I shall send you. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Be not afraid of them, their, fa their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Verses 9 and 10. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have this day appointed you the oversight of the nations and of the kingdoms to root out, pull down, to destroy, to overthrow, to build, and to plant. Let me say this about purpose. Purpose, ladies and gentlemen, is never fabricated. Purpose is always discovered. Because purpose is always put there before the creation of a thing. And ladies and gentlemen, the answer to our cry for purpose is a relationship with God Almighty. The God who made you has a plan for you. And he has been working that plan out long before you realized Please, um, please remember this, purpose is never a fabrication, it is always a discovery. Please keep that in mind. And so what I want you to realize is when God says, here I am, the first thing he answers is a cry of purpose. You are here for something. And so let's go on to the second thing. The second thing, ladies and gentlemen, and by the way, the headings of the things that I'm presenting are in a, a public study that these are the six things that most millennials or young people cry out for in different jobs or work environments. And so, ladies and gentlemen, the second thing that, 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 of the cry of this nation is development, a desire to become what God wants them to become. That means I don't want to do a job that will leave me the way I was when I started 15 or 20 years later. There must be a process of development. And so we realize, ladies and gentlemen, that God answers that. And so in this case, we will look at Jesus Christ. And please turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. And in Luke chapter 2, if we're reading from verse 40, and I will read to 52, but I won't read all of it. I'll just point it out to you. Let's start at verse 40. This is speaking about Jesus Christ. And these, ladies and gentlemen, are the only references you find in the Bible about Jesus' teenage years, his development years. And the Bible says the following, and the child grew and became strong in spirit, Luke 2 verse 40. I'm still reading from the Amplified Bible. Filled with wisdom and the grace, favor, and spiritual blessings of God was upon him. So he was a child. He was growing. But then something happens. He goes to Jerusalem with his parents. And he goes after what would be, in the Jewish tradition, a bar mitzvah. So he has become an adult. During that time, he discovers that I am here for something because all of a sudden he changes the plans 
He stays behind, his parents go, and they, they, have, they go three days' journey. They come back, and they start looking for him. And I want you to please remember this. They start looking for him. They find him in the temple, and he is buzzing. He's, I mean, the look on his face is very common. If you ever work with somebody who's found the right job, found the right things, and they want to tell you all about it, or a great film, something that clicks, all of a sudden, his world made sense. And it was like, should I not be about my father's business? His eyes were blazing. He was literally doing exactly what teenagers do. Notice, it's not a crime. His parents... Listen to him, and the Bible says the following. I will pick up the narrative from verse 49. And he said to them, how is it that you had to look for me? Did you not see or know that it is necessary as a duty for me to be in my father's house and occupied about my father's business? He realized the same way you and I realize from Scripture that he is a savior. And it changes his life. And the Bible then says, they didn't tell him off. The Bible says, but they did not comprehend what he was saying to them. And this happens, verse 51. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was habitually obedient to them. And his mother kept and closely and persistently guarded all these things in her heart. He made a decision to go with his parents. They did not train him as a Messiah. They trained him as a carpenter. And this is what the Bible says in verse 52. The Bible says, and Jesus increased in wisdom in broad and full understanding, and in stature, and in years, and in favor with God and with man. God will not leave you as he found you, irrespective of the journey you find yourself on. Notice, Mary and Joseph didn't train Jesus as a Messiah. They trained him as a carpenter, and through that, he became what God wanted him to become. So, ladies and gentlemen, what am I saying to you? As you find God in this season, your journey will make sense. The journey you are on, it's going to bring out the purposes and plans of God. How do I know this? If you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 3 and you read from verses 16 and 17, I won't turn there, but I will tell you what it says. Jesus now comes back at 30, 18 years of complete and absolute silence. He has raised nobody from the dead, opened no blind eyes. He walks up to his cousin, John the Baptist, and he says, I need to be baptized by you. He is baptized. The Holy Spirit falls on him, and then the Bible says there is a voice. And the voice says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, meaning you are exactly what I wanted you to be right now. And ladies and gentlemen, the second part of the cry of this generation is met. Why? Because God literally developed Jesus 
into who he wanted him to be. And so will he do it with you. Do not think your life is a waste or your journey is futile. Amen? Let's go to the third one. And the third one, the third thing, ladies and gentlemen, is a desire. Now, this one was interesting for me. It's a desire to build relationships around strengths. That means to focus on things that are present and not things that are absent. Ladies and gentlemen, as you, the God answers your cry, what is he going to do? And so let's, we'll take our scripture reading, and this is very interesting as we look at this, we'll take our scripture reading from the book of Matthew chapter 5. And I will pick it up, ladies and gentlemen, in the King James Version of the Bible. And I'm going to read from, I'll start my reading from verse 4, but pause for a moment. The Sermon on the Mount, and this is why I love Bible study, and this is the beauty of fasting. When you fast, the elements of your journey with God become more effective. And this was one of mine. I always thought that whenever I read the Sermon on the Mount, that Jesus was talking to the crowds. So it is an evangelical conversation. But the Bible says the following. Reading from verse 1, and I'll read from verse 1. The Bible says, and seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came to him. Now, that means Jesus is not talking to the multitudes. He's talking to his disciples. He's talking to the church. That means everything he's about to say in the next three chapters of the Bible are things that the church that he's about to birth needs to realize. I didn't understand that because it changes the way you see some of the things he says. And so the Bible then says in verse 2 that he opens his mouth and taught them, saying he, steps, he opens himself and lets the Holy Ghost take over and he teaches. And verse 3 is our focus for the moment. In verse 3, the Bible says the following. He starts his conversation speaking to his disciples. And ladies and gentlemen, wherever you are, God is now speaking to you. He says, blessed. So pause for a moment. Blessed is a very interesting word. A blessing is an activation of something that is present, not an introduction of something that is absent. Meaning, Jesus was saying, what I am telling you now, you already have. And so, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to understand, when God speaks about blessing, and I'm, I'm sure I'm speaking to a few people who think that, well, I must be going through life, I don't really have anything to give, I don't bring anything to the table, I'm not sure what I'll do, I'm just going to coast, and that's who I am. No, the Bible says you are blessed. Blessed means there's something present 
that the person of Jesus is causing to be activated that will make you something special, that will make you someone that will make a difference. And so hear me well, what is Jesus saying to the church in this place? And, I'm, and let me say it loud. I thought about, what should I say it, should I not? But let me say it loud. The church is not a victim. Hear me well. You cannot be in the church of Jesus Christ and qualify as a victim. A victim is a person that does not have the ability to change a season of suffering punishment or oppression. You are not that person. It does not matter what you are going through. You do not qualify as a victim. And listen to me very carefully. The Bible says blessed. That means there's something present that in this season, God is about to activate that will make the difference in your life. And that's what's going to happen. Now, keep that in mind. Jesus says 12 times, blessed, 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 blessed. Let's pick on one. And the Bible says, and I'll skip forward to verse 4. And the Bible says, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, if you were thinking about an evangelical message, then you realize that it, you're, it's presented as this is a hopeless situation. You should just hang on. Maybe God is going to make it better. But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, bless. That means there's going to be an activation that will cause your mourning to be converted to being comforted. So let's break it down. Because this one hit me hard. The Bible said, blessed are they that mourn. When somebody mourns, and hear me well, there's, when you have what we call a burden, that God, when, this cannot be the way things are. This cannot be the way you planned it. This cannot be the way things will persist. God, they do not remember you. They do not serve you. The world is going in a way that is not planned. Lord, there's harm and there's damage. That's mourning. It's called a burden that is strong enough for you to make a change, whereby you acknowledge that something's wrong. And the Bible says very clearly that they that mourn will be comforted. And it's a very difficult thing to explain until you go to Scripture. Turn with me, please, to the book of Isaiah, chapter 61. And I'm going to read from verse 1, and this is... <laughs> and the Bible says the following, and I'm going to read from the King James Version of the Bible. The Bible says the following, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. Verse 2. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn. Verse 4, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, 
that he might be glorified. Pause for a moment. So what's Jesus saying? Jesus is saying to the church that your season of mourning is over. Why? Because by reason of the anointing, by reason of my presence, something is about to change. And this is what he says. He says, specifically for mourning, he says to comfort those who mourn. Comfort holds within it the word vengeance. That means that which has caused you to mourn is not only going to come to an end, but God is going to avenge your journey. That means what you have been struggling with is about to change. Now listen to me very carefully. You must say, what, what does that mean for me? Hear me well. The Bible says in verse 3, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion. An appointment means to take from a royal storehouse to give either a resource or a title that changes people's lives or journeys. So ladies and gentlemen, hear me well. What am I saying about the church? And this is just one of 12. Jesus said you are blessed. Jesus says that if you are in a state of mourning, that means a perpetual feeling that something has been lost or taken, then the Bible says your season to change has come. Jesus says God will do what? He will declare the acceptable year of the Lord, the day of vengeance of our God. What does that look like? It is when God steps into your situation and turns it against all odds. And then the Bible says, your morning comes to an end. Notice what he says. He says, he will grant the oil of joy to those that are mourning. Listen carefully. Why the oil of joy? A perpetual source of infectious joy will come to you. How do I know? Wait until your miracle happens. Listen to me very, very carefully. The Lord is saying, and he's speaking to somebody directly. And you see, because I can't really shift forward. He's speaking to someone directly that your season of mourning is done. What do you mourn for? Something that has died. Something that has failed. Something that looks like it's over. The Lord is saying very clearly, in this season, I'm showing up and I'm going to turn things around for you. And so, ladies and gentlemen, let's go to the last one. We have six, but four's fine. Four's fine. The last one out of the six that forms part of the cry of a generation is a desire for a life that is all-encompassing. That means my life, my work, my family, my children, my job, my friends, where I live, all fulfill God's will or intention, that it must count for something. And the person I want you to remember as we come to a close is the person of Ruth. I thought of speaking about Bezalel that Deborah mentioned, but I'll use Ruth for a very good reason. You see, ladies and gentlemen, when your relationship with God becomes the center of your world, where all of a sudden God becomes your audience again, your entire life will become 
a expression of all that God is and means to you and to the world around you. You say, well, pastor, could you explain that? Make it simple. So, I will. Come with me. Come with me to the time before there are kings in Israel. To a dusty road somewhere outside Moab. Two widows are about to make a journey that they think they may not finish. And Ruth says to Naomi, I'll not leave you. Because of the God I have discovered, I'm going to stick with you, even though it may look hopeless. This is preacher's material, so I won't lose myself. They arrive in Israel and the story continues. And the story ends in Matthew chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Because God takes Ruth the Moabite and places her in the lineage of Jesus Christ. But there is a characteristic I want you to remember about Ruth's life. From the moment she makes the decision that God, you are the center of my world. Notice, God answers her prayers before she asks them. Ruth did not ask for the barley harvest to start when they got back. God made sure it happened. Ruth did not ask that let me find a field that belongs to a man called Boaz. God made sure it happened. Ruth did not ask that Boaz had already heard her story. God made sure it happened. Ruth did not look for a husband. Naomi said, let me make it happen for you. God made sure it happened. Ruth was not there when Boaz fought her corner because there was a kinsman redeemer that was closer than him. But God made it happen. Ruth was not there when she had to, literally, when God decided that when you do what you failed at or what was not fruitful before, when you now have to do it again out of season, she was not there when God decided that I'm going to make sure that there will be a child and that child will sit in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, hear me well. When you make sure God is the center of your universe again, the things that you are struggling for will become yours before you ask a life that counts for something. And I'll close today, and it leads me nicely to leading people to meet that God. Jesus said the same thing, and he said it in one verse of Scripture, Matthew 6, verse 33. Jesus said, 
Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. I decree over your life, ladies and gentlemen, that a season is about to begin for you, that as you seek God, all these things will what? Be added to you because God has answered the cry of this generation. Ladies and gentlemen, as we think about that, as we think about that and we bring today's sermon to a close, how does it start? It starts by choosing to go with the God who loves you. And so as simple as it was to start the fast, as simple as it was to come today, as simple as it is to buy a McDonald's, as simple as it is to literally hand over three pounds and get a meal, hear me well, Jesus says, give me your life. Believe that I am what I say I am, Savior, resurrected, divine Savior. Believe me that I've paid for your sins and you don't have to. Believe me that I'm going to make the exchange once you make sure that you want to and you say so in prayer. Believe me that I will make sure that my life will be represented in yours. And the Bible then says the result will be salvation. And if there's anybody watching, anybody in the worship center who doesn't know the Lord Jesus, today's a good day to start. Why? He didn't just die for you and pay for your sins, but he came back from the dead. And he's alive right now, drawing you to the Father. And ladies and gentlemen, this is how I'll close. Our prayer, ladies and gentlemen, is that during this season of the fast, we will enter what is referred to as the new. May God answer not only your call, but may he answer your cry. May he say, here I am, and may your life become a representation of the goodness and the kindness of God. Ladies and gentlemen, may God bless you. God will be kind.